Evening, church. Yes, I have listened to every single one of Dexter's sermons and have noticed that every single sermon starts with those two words. I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to... Approach God's word. Gracious God, as we look at your word this evening, uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive uh, your word written for us. And these things we ask and pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. It's so good to be here. As Dex said, I'm I'm from Melbourne, uh, now the second most livable city in the world. Uh, We've handed our title over to some unknown city called Vienna. No one really cares. I really love Perth. It's such a great city. I've spent 24 plus hours here so far. Uh, I know some of you guys are from Brisbane or have been in Brisbane before. And uh, don't tell my Brisbane friends this, but I like Perth better than Brisbane. Uh, It is, it is, it feels just as peaceful, but not so dated. Uh, (laughs) It is. uh, (laughs) Well, on the 18th of February, 2018, exactly 27 weeks ago to the day, Oikos Church, otherwise known as OC or Orange County, if you're a 90s person, uh, was born with a vision to be a home for all people and made new for his purpose. You guys stepped out in faith to plant a church. And you know what? If you're going to plant a church, you're either crazy brave or crazy stupid. Because the truth is, There's never actually been a worse time to plant a church. There's never been a worse time to plant a church. My parents, good Asians that they are, always taught me, if you want to make a sound investment, look at the long-term trend. If you want to make a sound investment, look at that long-term trend. And if you want to see the long-term trend of Christianity in Australia, I want to tell you that the church is an investment that you do not want to make. In 1966, 88% of all Australians identified as Christian. That's almost nine out of every 10 people. And just 50 years later, that number's fallen to... 52%. Now, you might think 52% is not that bad, right? But of that 52%, fewer than one in five attend church at least monthly. So today, Australia has uh, more Muslims than Presbyterians, more Buddhists than Baptists, and more Hindus than Pentecostals. Since 1966, the only thing faster than the rise of atheism has been the decline of Christianity. There's never been a worse time to plant a church. Indeed, if you look further afield to Christianity around the world, you might not know this, but Christianity is the single most persecuted religion in the whole world. It's estimated that 200 million Christians today are socially disadvantaged, harassed or persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. In 2012, A secular think tank in the UK uh, conducted research into the survival of Christianity in the Middle East. And I want you to hear what they concluded. Quote, there is now a serious risk that Christianity will disappear from its biblical heartlands. Between half and two thirds of Christians in the region have left or been killed over the past century. I bring... A word of great joy to you today. 
that there has never been a worse time to plant a church. And all this might beg the question, right? What faith do we have? What faith do we have that the church will survive? What faith do we have that the gospel will go forward? What faith do we have that Jesus is actually reigning as king? I mean, if you read your Bible and you read God's promises, you and I are promised that the risen Lord Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning over his church in his world. We're promised that he sends you and me out into the nations as as his ambassadors, working in us, working through us to bring all things under his feet. You and I are promised that one day King Jesus will return in glory to judge the living and the dead, to punish the wicked, to vindicate the righteous and to make all things new. But if we look at our world today, if we look at our church today, and I'm sure for some of us, if we look at our lives today, we might wonder, where is that promise? Where is that promise? The reality is we don't have every reason for faith. We have every reason for fear. Well, friends, for a church that faces difficult days ahead, I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, I love the book of Joshua. Because Joshua retells the story of Israel conquering the promised land. It's a book full of promise. Not not just promises made, but promises kept. And in Genesis 12, we read of God's promise. His great promise to all of God's people. He would bless them with people. He would bless them with a land. And he would bless them with his rule. And the next four books of the Bible, God will come good on his promises. So you know what? In the next five sentences, I'm going to take us through breakneck speed at the history of God's people. In Exodus, God saves his people out of Egypt. In Leviticus, God establishes his blessing by giving his people his law. In Numbers, he leads his people to the land of great promise. But they rebel. And they refused to enter that land. And you would think at that point it would be game over. And yet God is faithful enough that in Deuteronomy, he gives and extends that promise to the second generation. You see what God's doing here. Do you see how God is acting? And now finally here in Joshua, at long last, all those promises that God made will now be fulfilled. A new generation stands on the cusp of great promise. And that long last promises made will be promises fulfilled. And yet, this new generation stands on the edge of great peril. It stands on the edge of great peril. I want you to keep your Bibles open to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. I want you to see that Israel here has every reason for fear. After the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, uh, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Now, 
Dex was saying that he could stare at you guys all day. Uh, and I'm just going to look at and take a guess. I suspect, I'm, I could be wrong, but I suspect that most of you here are not Jewish. I could be wrong. But I want you to imagine just for a moment that you are an Israelite. I want you to put yourself in the feet and the shoes of the people here at this time. And you, if you were an Israelite in Joshua chapter 1, you would look back on your whole life. You would look back on all your wanderings in the wilderness. And all you would have ever known is one name, Moses. You see, Moses had been your fearless leader from your parents' time until now. In your Bible, from Exodus 2 all the way to Deuteronomy 34, Moses was. But now, he is no more. Moses, the great and unsurpassable leader, is dead. If you've got your Bibles open, I want you to turn back one page with me. And I want you to look at Deuteronomy 34. I want you to look at Deuteronomy 34 verses 10 to 12. Because here... We're going to find Joshua's obituary. I'm not Joshua's obituary, Moses' obituary. We're going to see Moses' legacy. Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 to 12. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him. For all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his lands and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. I wonder if you caught that. Those three words that are there. None like him. None like him. And yet, now the Lord has raised up a new leader. But Joshua is no Moses. No, he's not called the servant of the Lord. That's a pretty good title. The servant of the Lord. That's who Moses is. But look at what Joshua's called. Moses' assistant. Moses' assistant. And if you were an Israelite, after mourning Moses' death for 30 days, you now have to follow this young guy, this new leader into the land of great promise. I don't know how you guys felt when Dex said, why don't you come and plant OC with us? I'm, how old were you? You were 28 at the time. You're still 28 now. It was at the start of the year. <laughs> 28 is a pretty young age to plant a church. We're actually the same age. I wonder how you may have felt. Really? Does he really know what he's doing? He's so young. And all those older uncles and aunties are thinking, quite younger. Like, can you really trust him? You might wonder the same thing about Joshua right here. You have to follow this young guy into the land of great promise. And the reality is you don't have every reason for faith. You have every reason for fear. I mean, imagine being Joshua himself. Imagine the pressure and the expectation of following after Moses. None like him, the servant of the Lord. Moses' assistant. I mean, you'd be suffering serious performance anxiety. As, as, as Dex said, I'm a Brooklyn Nine-Nine fan. And it's almost like when Brooklyn Nine-Nine got axed. And then you think, what am I going to watch now? It, there is none like him. I'm not calling Jake Peralta Moses, but there is a great sense of disappointment. There is nothing that can ever live up to this. And if you were Joshua, you would know this. You would feel this. You know, Deuteronomy would tell you. You were a spy, and of all people in Israel, you knew what was on the other side. 
You of all people had seen the promised land. You had seen that the people are greater and taller than we are. You would have seen that the cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Of all people, you know the challenge that lies ahead. And you know the fear which made your brother's hearts melt all those years ago. And now you wonder, will history repeat itself? Will our hearts melt like theirs did? Of all people, you as Joshua don't have every reason for faith. You have every reason for fear. But friends, once again, into this cloud of fear shines these bright words, not once, not twice, but three times. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you're a Bible plan type of person, you may hit the wall at Leviticus and give up. But here's a tip for reading your Bible. If God says something once, it's true. If he says something twice, it's because he really wants us to know it. And if he says something three times, it's probably because he knows that we won't. You see, you only ever have to tell someone to be strong and courageous is if they have every reason not to. And humanly speaking, Joshua had every reason not to. He had every reason to be afraid. But no, in the eyes of God, divinely speaking, Joshua had every reason for faith. And so do you and me. Do you notice why Joshua can be strong and courageous? Look at verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. You see, this is the very promise that Yahweh made to Moses all those years ago. If you've read Exodus or watched the Prince of Egypt, which is almost as good, when Moses stands before Pharaoh, what is Yahweh's great promise to him? I will be with you. And now that very same promise is extended to Joshua. Moses, their human leader, may have just died, but not so the Lord. Not so the Lord by his very name, Yahweh. I am who I am. God will be and will always be there for you and for me. Because with God's presence comes God's power. I want to fast forward just a little bit for you. In chapter 3, Israel's going to cross the Jordan River. They're going to finally enter that promised land. And as they do, the Ark of the Covenant is going to go before them. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God. You see, God would lead the way. Remember back to Exodus. Remember back to the Prince of Egypt, right? Just as, their, just as God had led their fathers through the waters of Egypt, and now He will lead their sons through the waters of Canaan. Just as the Red Sea parted, now so too will the Jordan River part before the footsteps of God himself. As the Lord goes before Israel, as the Lord is with Israel, God will deliver on his promise. 
The very land that God promised to their fathers, he will now deliver to them. That's why Joshua can be strong and courageous. Not not on account of his power, no, but on account of God's presence and on account of God's promise. Reading your Bible carefully is important. But I want you to notice how God describes this land, how he describes this promised land. Keep your Bibles open. In verse 6, it's the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. In verse 4, it is the land that shall be your territory. In verse 2, it is the land that I am giving to them. But I want you to notice something amazing here. How is it described in verse 3? It is the land I have given to you. The land I have given to you. See, Israel hasn't even set foot in the promised land yet. They're on the other side of the river. And yet the land is as good as already theirs. God's promises are as good as already delivered. When I was in high school, geography was one of my worst subjects. I just am not a spatial sort of person. Maybe it's a genetic thing that I can't drive properly. So when I read verse 4, and if you look at verse 4, my eyes just glaze over. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. And I'm just like, I don't get it. I can't visualize it. I can't picture it. But once again, imagine that you are an Israelite. Imagine for your whole life, you have been homeless and wondering, waiting for God to give you the land of great promise, waiting so you could finally rest. And now God says, welcome home. Welcome home. God is mapping out the extent of his promise. Friends, I wonder if you notice something here. This book may be called Joshua. But it's not really about Joshua at all, is it? Joshua, yep, he may have been the one to arise, to go and to lead Israel into the promised land. But who did all the work? It was the Lord who was with them. It was the Lord who fulfilled on his promise. It was the Lord who saved them through the waters out of Egypt and into Canaan. I loved Sunday school. Actually, no, that's a lie. There were moments where I liked Sunday school. But on this one... I have to say to my Sunday school teachers, I'm sorry, I don't think they were right. The lesson out of Joshua is not be like Joshua. The lesson out of Joshua is trust in the Lord. See, to focus on Joshua misses the point entirely. What does Joshua's name even mean? It means the Lord saves. So every time we look at Joshua, don't stop there. Let his name point you to where the focus really is. The Lord saves. Being a church plant, mission is at the heart of what we do. We want to see people, the nations adopted into this family of God, don't we? But mission is not what we do for God. Mission is what God does through us. Mission, which literally means to be sent, is before anything else a work of God. God is the prime mover. God is the first missionary. God is the one who sends. And believe it or not, God is the one who is sent. Do you remember when they're crossing that river, what goes before them? 
the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, God's footsteps are the ones that lead the way. How does God deliver on his promises? How does God promise and then deliver on that promise to save you and me? He comes to us and he delivers on every promise. Because almost one and a half millennia after Joshua chapter one, God would once again come. But this time he would come as a man. Emmanuel, God with us. And this time he would come to deliver on his promises once and for all. He would come to lead you and me out of death and into life. He would come to save us through the waters of his own blood. He would come as the second Joshua, one whose name also means the Lord saves. His name would be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You might wonder, if God is with us, if God really is delivering on his every promise, how? How are we to be strong and courageous? As OC, what does it look like for us to be strong and courageous? Well, look with me at verses 7 to 8. Be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it, uh, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. What does it look like? For Oikos Church to be strong and courageous. Three words. Obey my words. And they're not my words. Obey God's words. You see, being strong and courageous, it's about far more than just conquering the land. No, it's about living in right relationship with God. It's about keeping God's words at the heart of who we are and what we do. You're trying to form a family. You're trying to build a household of God. What sits at the heart of this family? What makes OC OC? I hope it's the word of God. I want to read to you a quote and I want you to guess who said this. Quote, I believe God's church needs to be rooted in truth. That's why we as a church are focused on building a culture where the Bible is the foundation of our faith. Do you know who said that? I feel really bad. I can't remember his name. He's one of the guys on your intro video. Uh, and it was the best thing ever. It is the best line ever. I believe God's church needs to be rooted in truth. That's why we, and he's talking about this church here, we as a church are focused on building a culture where the Bible is the foundation of our faith. Yes, yes, and yes. I love it that it's in your online propaganda video. Because if it's there, it must be true. Because once you said it, you got to live up to it. you got to live up to it. See, we are to be strong and courageous, not just in our evangelism, not just in reaching our non-Christian friends, no, but in living together a word-centered lives of faith. 
Yep, God is with us. God is with us by His Spirit. God is with us by His Spirit in His Word. What does that mean? It means that you and I as a church can be counted fools for the sake of Christ. It means that we can live lives of countercultural holiness. It means that we're able to forfeit the pleasures of this world for the greater pleasures of Christ. Yes, God is with us. And it means that you and I can take his gospel into his world, confident that God will save. How will we be strong and courageous? Obey my words. Hold them in your hands. Keep them in your mouth. Meditate on them in your heart. Don't just obey them alone. Obey them together as one family made new for his purpose by his word. Be strong and courageous. I am with you. Obey my words. What then can we learn from this first chapter of Joshua? I want us to take away two key lessons from this this evening. Number one, that God is building his kingdom through us. God is building his kingdom through us. I love traveling interstate. I was telling a few of you that I've only got two more cities to visit and then I can tick all the boxes and say I've been to every capital city in Australia. The only problem is those last two cities are Darwin and Adelaide and I can't imagine why I'd ever have reason to go there. But one of the great things about visiting other cities is that you get to see the work of God. You get to see the kingdom of God in every place. One of the great things I love about your churches and its name is that no matter where you go, you can meet members of the family. You can meet brothers and sisters in Christ whom you never knew you had. And I love that tonight I get to spend time with your church. I love to see that your church desires to be a home for all people, a family of believers under Christ our King. And as you work to see that vision become a reality, here's my question. How? How will you do that? How will you build that home? How will you form that family? Maybe. Here's just a few maybes for you. Maybe. You'll focus on training up zone leaders so that whether you're a young family, a professional, a tertiary student, a teen or a kid, you will have a home at Oikos and leaders to care for your soul. Not a bad strategy. I think you should do it. Maybe you'll invest in the Sunday service to to create a worship experience in which people can feel like they're encountering the risen Lord Jesus in the fullness of who they are and their emotions. Not Not a bad idea. But here's one caution. I wonder, can it be almost too easy to assume that the success of our church is dependent on the quality of our preaching, the passion of our music, the warmth of our relationships, or the strength of our leaders. We feel strong and courageous, to be honest, not because of God, but because of us. We feel strong and courageous because we've got a great pastor index. And that, you know, I can follow him. None like him, right? I can follow that. And yet whatever our basis of hope, one day we will wake up and hear those words that Joshua heard, Moses, my servant, is dead. I'm not killing off text just yet. (laughs) I want you to hear what John Calvin writes about these verses. While men are cut off by death and fail in the middle of their career, the faithfulness of God never fails. The faithfulness of God never fails. I don't know how you guys have found it growing up in your families, but I love my family. Sure, they can be a bit difficult. My mum's probably going to listen to this later. But you know what? 
for all the ways in which our families love us. Our families are not perfect. Our mums aren't perfect. Our dads aren't perfect. And that means one thing. No matter how much they don't want to do it, even they will let us down. Even their faithfulness will fail. And in this family of God, if you look around right now, as much as you love each other, as much as you want to serve each other, you will fail each other. But the faithfulness of God never fails. We are not building this kingdom for God. He is building his kingdom through us. We must not pin our hopes on our leaders, but on the promises of God alone. Here's a tip. God has already appointed a Messiah, and it's not you or me or anyone else. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. God alone builds his church, and God alone builds his kingdom. God is building his kingdom through us. Secondly, God is building his kingdom with us. I wonder if you've noticed where else in the scriptures God says, I will be with you. You see, in Joshua 1, Yahweh is giving Israel their marching orders. And in the Great Commission, Jesus Christ is giving you and me our marching orders. Did did you hear it? You've heard it probably a thousand times before. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I don't know, I want you to stop just for a moment and I want you to think about that. If you've heard it a thousand times, I want you to hear it with ears as if you've never heard it before. And I want you to realize how ridiculous that command is. I mean, think about it, right? You guys are, as Dex said, you guys are reasonably good looking, half competent probably, But if you look at these verses, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Man, I'm not sure that we can do it. It's a pretty, it's not just a great commission. It feels like mission impossible. How? How in the world will you and I achieve this great commission Rule number two of reading your Bible, read the next verse. I am with you always to the end of the age. See, it's not you and me that does it. It's God and God alone who achieves his mission in his world. Just as Yahweh was with Israel then, Jesus is with us now. He is with us by his spirit. And you and I have every faith to make disciples of all nations. Why? Because Christ is with us by his spirit in his word. Because Jesus is with us. We can be confident that the church will survive. No, it will thrive. The gospel will go forward. And Jesus is actually reigning as king. Because Jesus is with us, you and I can take risks. We can bankroll gospel ministry. We can plant churches. We can flood the mission field. And we can advance the gospel in this world. Because God, because Jesus is with us, we can forego worldly pleasures. We can endure persecution. We can bear the shame and sacrifice comfort, safety, and security. All for one reason and one reason alone. I am with you always. As we close, I just want to tell you about a man called Aniram Judson. It's a bit of a strange name. But on the 13th of July, 1813, this man, Aniram Judson, landed at Yangon in Burma, what we know today as Myanmar. 
And Judson was one of the very first missionaries to ever leave America's shores. One of the very first men to ever take the gospel to the nations. And over a lifetime of ministry in Burma, Judson planted churches, he converted locals, and he translated the entire Bible into Burmese. Two years ago, I was in Burma, and Judson's gospel legacy was unmistakable. You could pick up any Burmese Bible, go to the inside cover, and see those words translated by Adoniram Judson. And we look at him and we think, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that one man could do so much? But I want you to know that it took well over a decade before a single Burmese person would turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Over 10 years. Looking at some of you, that's more than half your lifetime. And over 36 years on the mission field, Judson would have his house ransacked. He would be imprisoned and he would be tortured. He would, leave two, he would lose two wives, seven children, and countless gospel partners and missionaries to disease and to death. It's recorded that one day Judson was tied up to a pole by a tribal chieftain. And this tribal chieftain was ready to cast him into the flames. And this chieftain walked up to this missionary and he looked at him eye to eye. And he asked him this question. Mr. Judson, what do you now see in your future? What do you now see in your future? And I want you to hear what Adnaram Judson said to this tribal chieftain. Bearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he looked at this tribal chieftain eye to eye and he said these words. The future is as bright as the promises of God. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Friends, there has never been a better time to plant a church. There's never a bad time to plant a church because there's never a moment that Jesus is not with us. There's never a moment that Jesus is not ruling and reigning from the right hand of the Father. There is never a moment that Jesus is not in control of every detail of our lives. There is never a moment that Jesus is not advancing his kingdom in this world. So be strong, be courageous, because God is building His kingdom through us and He's building His kingdom with us. And brothers and sisters, the future is as bright as His every promise. Let me pray. Gracious God, we thank You for Your Word here in Joshua. For when we are weak, then we see how strong You are. And we acknowledge, God, that in this world we will have many trials and many sufferings. But take heart, for Jesus Christ has overcome the world. We have every reason for faith. We have no reason for fear, for Jesus Christ rules and reigns from the right hand of the Father. And as He sits there, He is with us by His Spirit and equips us to take His gospel into the nations. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Build your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.